but the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball oh, was the Euro, different. The, like, Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different <laughs> than America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. Okay, so today on the Euro step, and I am very honored to have uh, Coach Jen Leadham from St. Francis College in Brooklyn. Coach Leadham has been, uh, is very experienced, um, got years and years of playing and coaching experience and, you know, uh, untold wealth of knowledge. Um, Coach, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Um, Coach, for those who don't know, can you, you know, briefly tell us about your, um, you know, the tail end of your playing history and, and then, you know, your coaching journey and how it's evolved over the years? Yeah, so uh, I went to a division, I was actually did a prep school year in Connecticut first in high school and then I went to um, a division two school, Franklin Pierce University, it's called now in New Hampshire, which is division two. Played there, was a part of a building a program, my senior year was super fortunate enough to play in the division two national championship, which was a amazing opportunity. I uh, came up just short and then after graduation in 2009, um, had the opportunity to either go play, but then my alma mater, my coach, head coach at the time, Mark Swayze, got a coaching position um, at another school. And the athletic director called me and offered me the opportunity to come in and be uh, a full-time assistant for three years. And they pretty much mentored me to be the next head coach for that program. So um, after weighing my options, I took the coaching route and um, kind of gone from there. I was an assistant for three years, which was a great experience. I learned a lot. And then I was uh, the head coach for four. So they did, uh, it was think right around the London Olympics 2012 is when I actually got named the head coach, which was a really cool, okay. cool timing for me. And then um, there for four years, had a great experience too. Um, some successful teams coached in the NCAA, um, went to Sweet 16s, went to last 64 regionals. It was really cool. And then after my fourth year, um, I'd been there oof, with my playing years over like 10 years. I kind of felt it was ready for a change. And one of my really, really good friends who was actually a teammate, a college teammate, she was a senior when I was a freshman, um, got the Wagner College head coaching job, Division One down in Staten Island, plays in the Northeast Conference. Mm -hmm. And she just had the position and asked me to come along. So I was there for three years. Um, loved time there, learned a lot again um, as an assistant, Division One level, and then got asked two years, uh, almost, I think it's two years ago now. Yeah, I've been to St. Francis for two years. Linda Simonet, who coached my younger sister in college at Division Two in Caldwell. She was leaving Binghamton and going to St. Francis and she just finished her first year at St. Francis and she asked me to come and be her associate head coach. So yeah, I've been the associate head coach at St. Francis College for the last two years and, and it's it's great, awesome school, great people. Love it over there, Brooklyn's awesome. So yeah, that's, that's it, that's the show. <laughs> no, that's, hey, that's an awesome journey. Um... And, you know, being an assistant coach, head coach, associate head coach, um, you know, there's a wide range of, of positions there. So, I mean, you know, the questions and stuff that we're going to go through today, I think you are a perfect candidate, especially, you know, walking the walk as well. So, um, as I said, really uh, fortunate to have you on the show today. Thank you. Um, so, first question. Um, a vague estimate, it doesn't have to be a precise number, 
Um, but how many international players would you say you've helped recruit to um, come and play college basketball? Probably to play for me, 12, I think probably in 12, I think I've had about 12 players. Oh, yeah, around 12 play on my rosters, I think over the year, maybe a little bit more between 12 and 15. I think helping in general, I'd say above 30. Okay, nice. Okay, so um, definitely a lot. And when I say like recruiting, I mean like lock the deal and they play for me, like recruiting in general, or oh, I'd say over 50. Oh, wow, so, okay. So yeah, and that's, you yeah. know, and that's kind of, you know, what it's all about. Um, thinking of those players, you know, all, you know, 50, let's say. Um, oh no, let's start with the 12 that you recruited um, at your different stops. Um, why did you feel it necessary? Why did you think it was beneficial to recruit those international players over domestic ones? Uh, the one thing that I love about recruiting international players is they're a little bit maturer. Um, I think in Europe, you know, it's different. You become a, you're, you're deemed an adult at 18 years old. So it's a lot different, a lot more responsibilities. You're, you know, and I, I lived that, like I came from what I was doing at home and how I was living my life at home. And then when I went to prep school, it was extremely different. And I felt like I was just a lot more locked in of what my wants were and where I was going rather than kind of the college experience. It, it was just, a, it's really different. So I think for me, what's been super important recruiting is over the years, if you have a big freshman class, I think it's important to maybe balance a couple of international kids. And I also think it brings culture and diversity in different ways too. I think it's also great for a team camaraderie of seeing people like we've got, I've got friends, I've got friends on my teams that I've played with that are from Australia and all over. And it connects you and it allows you to kind of even opportunities after school or within school. I know we have now kids that plan to visit their teammates when obviously things loosen up a little bit, but like go to Spain to visit their roommate that they've had the last year. Just think, I think it's a cultural thing and I think it just brings a different different dynamic to a team also. Nice. Um, yeah, we've had quite a few coaches on um, that have spoken about the maturity of having um international kids because they seem more focused or they're a bit more hungrier um in general not always but you know uh, the majority of the time so yeah. that seems to be a really big thing um uh, now we'll go all right so can you explain the process from start to finish uh, when recruiting an international player yeah, I think it like varies and it's actually been a lot different the last couple, the last probably year or so. But typically like we've, I mean, my head coach now at the time, she travels a lot and I've also gone overseas and I've gone and seen people and done home visits and met people. Um, whether it's through, it, it, it's not, I wouldn't say it's generic. To be honest, I think it, it varies in regards to who the player is. Sometimes I've had, you know, we've got very good contacts and some people that I really trust that could just call me up and be like, listen, this kid, you've got to go get her. Like she's a steal or she's absolutely going to help you program. And I have a couple of those people that I really, really trust. So no matter what, like I'm going to follow that lead right away. There's other people where I've gone over. I actually went over um, last October 
I think 2019 to the UK and I actually went to see somebody else play and ended up seeing another kid who was a Spanish girl playing in um, in England and she's actually she signed and she played for us this year I know you know we've gone my, my boss goes to European Championships she's gone to the Thailand World Cup like she's out feet on the ground actually seeing these kids play and then we've got I mean right now at St Francis we have uh, this this year, upcoming year, we're going to have a kid from Australia. Uh, we have we had a Spanish kid. We've got two girls from Hungary, a girl from Serbia. So we're like pretty uh, worldwide and, and diverse in the European culture. So I think it depends, but a lot of it is people you know, different connections, and then kind of just following that with calls, with Zoom calls, whether it was FaceTime, WhatsApp, whatever it is, and kind of just finding out what their wants and what their needs are and, and everybody's been really different like we have we have a girl on our team who's represented which we had rookie of the year last year who represented serbia the under 20s and has got a call up to go to training camp with the um national team for the women's national team for pre-olympics and then we've got a girl that was rookie of the year from hungary who was in the world cup and then we also have a girl that played three on three so it's like really different it's not it's not you know, I wouldn't say like, this is the right way for you. I think it's what they want and what they're looking for. And and kind of it, it worked with us and, and what we kind of offered. And it was it's about the, the big picture and the whole fit. And it's, it's definitely a journey, I think more. So now there's more communication, there's more conversations, um, especially because there's no visits right now too. So I think that's a big, big thing because, you know, I know for my parents, it's about easing your mind too of you're sending your you, you know you're sending your child your baby to another country and that's i know that was really daunting for my parents and my parents still live in the uk and the three of us are over here so i know how tough that is for parents it's 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 not just it's not just the player it's also you know the, the parents involved it's, it's a whole package deal type of thing yeah i yeah it, it definitely sounds like it you know, there's uh, multiple avenues to being recruited um, and definitely getting seen and situated. So, yeah, recommendations definitely um, is a strong one. And, you know, uh, uh, I guess another element which brings me on to my next question, how valuable is highlight tape? Like how much influence does a highlight tape have on you as a coach uh, signing a player? Yeah, I think it's important. Um... I think to showcase your talents. I also personally prefer, and I know this is preference to everybody, like I like to watch games too. Like I think highlight films are great and they show like, especially, you know, if you've got a specialty, like if you're a really good shooter and things like that. But I think even if you've had like a few good games, like we'll sit as a staff and we'll watch games of someone coming in or even even kids we've signed, like we, we want to see film of them and like how they're doing and, and stay current with them. And even, even though they've signed, like I think the more footage you have, the, the, the better it is. And I think, especially with, I think a lot of people over here struggle to understand the levels in certain countries. And I think that's the hardest thing, yeah. to be honest. Cause I think people get focused on, oh, do you play for your country? And do you play for your national team? And I think that's a big thing, but that's like really hard to do. There's only 12 people in that spot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and think of all the kids that get recruited over here that nobody, you know, there's a ton of kids that don't represent Team USA. It doesn't mean they're not good. And I think people still, I think that over here we're coming a little bit more aware of it, 
but I don't think people understand how popular basketball actually is in Europe or Australia as a you know it's it's I wouldn't say it's a similar level to to the states it's obviously different but there's a lot of talent overseas for sure definitely agree with that definitely um what would be a, the best way for an overseas or an international player to get a coach's attention like yourself you know how would uh an international student get themselves recruited yeah see i have it's funny because i have a really strong opinion on this and i think it's because i've been an international student i think the hardest thing is realizing what level you're at and I, you know I've, i've spoke to a lot of people and i think you get caught up thinking d1 and i mean i my sister i don't she's representing great britain she's unbelievable she went to division 2 and she's still drafted by the wnba and all that stuff i think a lot of people get hung up and i just to be quite open and honest i do struggle with kind of this area because people talk about different people that have gone certain areas and i feel it's also dependent on what you want do you want to go in and impact somewhere right away or do you want to learn and do it at the highest level because now St. Francis Brooklyn is absolutely amazing and these kids have come in that we've had from overseas and had a massive impact on our program and they've played a lot of minutes but we don't have I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say we have the same money and we operate the same program that Oregon does it's very different it's, it's a whole completely different level and it's a whole completely different ballgame and i think it's for the kind of getting attention i think the one thing that you can do is probably the worst thing to do is just send a mass email to a lot of people like i think that is i think a lot of people do that i think a lot of coaches talk so if i'm talking and i think like oh if i speak to my friend who's coaching you know a couple of levels above me at like jmu or whatever and that email me and i'm emailing them and i'm like they don't know what level they are like what's the deal yeah. and people and coaches call and ask because they want to know like you know who is this and i think sometimes you think the more you get out the better off but i don't necessarily think that i think you have to really have people in your corner that kind of know your level and what you're doing because there comes this like misunderstanding of well can they play at our level and i don't think they know if they can play at their level and sometimes it's a risk and some kids go higher and then it's like they get disappointed with what has been recruited and to be honest with you what i think is an awesome thing for an international student that not a lot of people talk about is going to prep school boys do it a lot but girls don't a post grad year at a prep school is unbelievable i mean my sister coaches at prep school in marinapolis and this is no plug by any means but if you don't find somewhere that you feel is the right fit she had a kid that went over from ireland brona and she played for for her in prep school did a postgraduate year and she went into the patriot league and played for holy cross and was rookie of the year and i think that year to climatize and kind of feel how you feel your way and kind of be recruited feet on the ground on a on a regular basis makes a big difference i uh, see now i i love the fact that you brought it up <laughs> but we've got like we're going to get to that we're going to get there but i love the fact that you brought that up because it is very interesting um the different entry levels and where best to go so if they you know i think everyone especially on the boy side you know a kid makes a three and he dunks the ball once in a game and he's like coach hey i'm ready to go to duke man like hey, tell coach k i'm ready 
Um, yeah. And it's like, hey, there's a lot more to it. So, you know, understanding the entry level and kind of to piggyback what you said in terms of, are you going to be a bet? Like, do you want to go to a, a bigger program where you have a less of a role? Or do you want to go to a smaller program where you have a bigger role, more minutes and stuff like that? So yeah, I think you're correct in terms of like the understanding of where they are is very difficult for them to comprehend and then, you know, put the emails, as you said, to email out or, or to contact the, the correct coaches. So um, yeah, I don't want to get too stuck in because this is, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great topic, um, which we're going to explore in a second. Um, what should a freshman expect coming into um, a, a college program? You know, it was just take uh, NCAA two and one at the minute, or one and two. Um, you know, yeah. what should they expect? I think time management is a big thing, and I know that sounds really cliche, but it is. And I think the big thing for a freshman, no matter what, everybody for the most part is coming from their teams being the best player. So I think. I, I think it's time management because, you know, you think, okay, there's this, but then there's classes. I mean, it's been a little different this year because classes are online, so it obviously is, is a little easier to navigate. But fitness is a huge thing. Fitness is where freshmen really, really struggle a lot. I think the fitter you are, the, the easier it becomes for you. And I just think, in general, that balance is can be really overwhelming and the thing with freshman year is there's peaks and valleys like the highs and lows of freshman year for anybody but internationals in particular is like it's it's you're going to get challenged there's going to be great days there's going to be there's going to be really tough days and i think ultimately your love for basketball is what you really need to love it because that is what ultimately like carries you through it all nice okay um so time management um, mm -hmm. is, is definitely a, a big, um, a big one being fit. Now, how would you, and, and I had this conversation with another coach as well. How do you know, or how can you gauge how fit you are as a freshman coming in? Because, you know, the summer before you go out, you want to look nice and trim or whatever, blah, blah, okay. blah. And you get to, you get to training camp, you get to preseason and you're dying as a freshman, you know? So how, yeah. How do you gauge it? I think just like asking questions. Like I think a lot of freshmen come in and just kind of like a very, like there's very few that like ask, like, what do you need from me? Like, I think that's the best thing. I think a lot of coaches have like certain, I don't know if testing is the right word, but some people do beep tests. Some people do times, miles, like find that information out as soon as you can. And kind of, you know, every coach has their little thing that they want to do. I know we have a mic and drill that we do that every single practice, nearly, nearly before every single practice, the mic and drill is what we start with. And it's a series of, of layups that they have to be able to make in a row in a certain amount of time. And they do it with a partner. Now, we tell our freshmen about it, but majority of them come in and they're not ready for it. But, you know, are you ever and are you ever ready? No, it's going to be hard. It's freshman year. I think anybody that plays college basketball looks back and laughs at the freshman year like, oh, my gosh, what the heck is I doing? <laughs> Maybe Paige Beck is the only one that's not going to do that. But, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think you, and you have to go through that because that's what is part of your journey and your growth. But I think, you know, ask questions and, and good leadership always helps freshmen lean on your seniors or your upperclassmen and don't be afraid to 
to kind of fail. That's part of the journey. Nice, nice. I do, yeah. That's great advice. Love it. Um, see, now we're now we're getting into to the crux of things. Now we're warm, okay? So there seems to be a stigma with junior colleges, um, especially with overseas um, student athletes. Um, you know, I've tried to help players get to junior college or whatever, and everyone's first option or the majority of kids I've spoken to. Like, oh, I don't want to go to junior college. Oh, I want to go to a four-year school, blah, blah, blah. Like, can you talk about that stigma? What you, what's your opinion on it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know the stigma. I think the my opinion of it is over here, junior college is associated with kids that have to go to junior college because they don't have the grades. And I think, to be quite frank and real, I think people associate who kids who don't have bad grades, kids who don't have good grades are bad, not bad people, but like not focused, not driven. And I think there's way more to it. I think there's some fantastic players that have gone to junior college and had unbelievable. I think people see it as a secondary option and it's not necessarily the way. And I, I think there's some unbelievable coaches in junior college. I think the level of play, you know, I've gone a, a few times to, their like kind of whole national tournament that they have like whether it's in Kansas or wherever and the level of play is phenomenal and I think it's just it is unfortunately a negative stigma because of the great things in my opinion mm, definitely um, and you know you do get some and I guess at, at every level you have bad programs bad um, instructed whether it's a division one or a junior college or NAIA if you go to a bad program you go to a bad program so you know yeah. it doesn't really matter you know what level it is so um and following on that so comp well not necessarily comparing but your views on junior college versus prep school versus like the academies that we have or like IMGs or the ones that we have in yeah. Europe um What's your? What would you say your preferential recruitment pool is? Would you prefer a kid that's gone to junior college or a prep or an academy? Honestly, it varies, and I know this is such a cop out answer, like, but it it does vary <laughs> on year to year because I think through. Like we, when I was at Wagner, we got a point guard that was a, the real fit for us at that time. We needed someone to come in that um, could be a leader. Was a little bit older, and she was she was really good for, for where we were at with that program. And I love I love her to death. She came from Butler. She did a phenomenal job. Um, and then I think we've just got a transfer in that we've also just got a transfer in from Robert Morris at St. Francis Brooklyn. She's going to have a major impact. I think it's what it's, it depends on the needs of your program for me and where you're at. Like we're really, we were really young. So we, we were coming in, we were building and we needed someone to come in that could kind of like already have some playing experience. I think it really depends where you're at. Um, and I think that's also super important for when you're being recruited to see like what you want to do, like who's ahead of you. I don't think a lot of people do that. They just see like, oh, I've got this. I'm going to go here. And I know through my 
you know, I hate to talk about myself, but my experience personally, yeah. I had an offer from another school that was probably more successful at the time, but there was a junior point guard that was going to play ahead of me most likely for two years, which was going to limit my playing time. And that's something that I that I couldn't really envision myself being a bench player and playing 10, 15 minutes. And okay, you can look at the other side and both white, make, you know, work hard, go take a spot. But she was super established and was an all-conference player. And me going in as a freshman behind the behind the ball, I don't know if that was like, that wasn't the right move for me in my opinion. And I think a lot of kids don't look at people on roster at the time. And then they go in and it's like, I, I think, especially in division one, we have 15 scholarships. Our job is to recruit over what we have to an extent, but it's also about position. You know, if we're losing, if we're like, we have a senior post player next year. We want to bring in a post player in this 21 class now so she can kind of play behind her for a year and learn and then kind of learn the ropes. And I think it's transfers can be a big thing with scholarships. I think it really is dependent on where the program's at and also the preference of the coach. I know some coaches who have completely recruited just from, you know, look at Nevada. He he recruited a lot of transfers and it's been really successful. You have kids. I know my friend at Towson has got quite a few junior college players and that they won the CAA like a couple of years ago. Like there's different, different strategies work for different people. And I think there's no right way to do it. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot again. <laughs> um, yeah. So if let's say you're advising a 17, 18 year old, you know, let's say coming out of England and they have got the option of junior college or prep, um, especially, you know, considering how highly you're speaking of prep, what would you then say, uh, what would you advise them? Well, the big thing with prep is you don't use You don't lose a year of eligibility. So that's like the difference maker. You have to weigh your options. The thing with prep is it's going to be high school, might be a little bit lower level, not on the men's side, because the men's prep school, I mean, some of those prep schools, they have to probably be college teams, to be honest. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, you don't lose your college eligibility. You, know, you only get four years. And for me personally, like you got to make the most of your first year, four years. I. I personally would advise someone to go to prep over JUCO if I was an international kid. Okay, thinking of eligibility. So yeah, I I, I understand that. I um, think money plays a factor too. Okay. Because I think it depends. I don't know. I don't know if all prep schools offer full scholarships. So like, it depends on like your money situation too. I don't think they do. So that's also going to be a factor. And I think getting it's like again, it, it's what works for you if you're from a fortunate background where you can kind of pay a five to ten thousand dollars. Then yeah, then I wouldn't affect my eligibility. But if you're just looking at to get over here and you don't really have the money, then then JUCO JUCO is is a good way too. Nice. Okay. Nice. Um, within your experience and, you know, looking at the, the 50 players that you've had a hand in helping, um, how hard or easy um, would you say it is for an international athlete to integrate into a program? Like how, you know, what's the challenges behind it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um... I've seen it where it's been really good and I've seen it where it's been like, it's been difficult. I think the big thing is being open-minded and that's a really good question. 
<laughs> because I mean, at the end of the day, like my sister played in France and comes back here and she does things. And I'm just like, you're so weird. <laughs> like <laughs> people are so different. And I think if you can have an immature, if there's an immature team, I think that at times can be problematic, just being quite honest. Mm. And I think, you know, that comes from how the team is, how they're received. And I think most, I, I would hope to think most coaches now with Zoom and the way things have gone that they speak and they are engaged. I know our kid who's coming in from Australia, she's had multiple conversations like with our players already. So um, I think, and, and that, you know, that helps to your point of maybe when you get getting recruited, that's, I, if I was an international student now, I would ask if I could talk to people on the team. If I wasn't doing a visit, I would ask if, because at the end of the day, the players are living it and I would, you know, sit and have conversations and, and get to learn. I mean, it's sometimes hard integrating just American kids together anyway. I mean, everybody's different, yeah. there's different things. That's the beauty of, of life, of, of learning and, and being around people who are from different backgrounds. I think that's probably one of the best things about St. Francis Brooklyn is our diversity, but, I mean, yeah, I think communication is key in that. I think being open-minded and it's also really hard. It's, I say this to everybody, college is what you make of it. Like if you are far from home and you sit in your room and you make no effort, you could be in New York City, you could be in San Diego, California. Like it, it, if you don't make an effort to branch out, it's you're not going to enjoy it. Mm, mm, definitely. You get, in what, you get out what you put in for sure in all areas so kind of same question but like thinking of yourself and your experience when you went through um your college experience and you being an international student athlete what did you do what what was you proactive about to try and integrate yourself into the community and and into to get the most out of your college experience yeah i think you just have to kind of you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Like it's hard, like you're in situations where you don't know people, you've got to, you have to let people in. Like, especially as an international student, you're really far away from home. Like we, that's your family now. Like that's the people that you rely on. Like your parents are so far away. Like if something goes wrong, like, and I think that comes back to recruiting. I think I was really, really lucky that my coach was super caring, but we had a really good group of people on the team that we really took care of one another. We looked out for each other. I mean, we weren't the greatest of friends. I think that's the hardest thing. It's a bonus if everybody's really close, but I think girls obviously are gonna annoy each other at times. There's gonna be problems, but like a family, it's the same way with the family. Everybody gets annoyed with their brothers and sisters. You know, it's, it's, you have to be open-minded and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be a good communicator. And if you're struggling, it's I think it's okay to ask for help and articulate that you're struggling. Like, I think it's really different. Um, a lot of kids from internationally come from overseas where they play pro and they just are told to get on with it. And that's really different over here. Like that college atmosphere is more like a family. And I think you have to rely on people and not feel like you're bothering people. And I learned that to be honest with you, the hard way early on in my career, but then I I lent on my teammates and then you pay it forward when you become in that junior, senior role and it kind of keeps going on. I think that's part of like that college atmosphere too is what makes it so great. Like your teammates and 
playing basketball, like going to school, like those four years, they're supposed to be enjoyable. It's supposed to be the best times of your life. And I think that's why, you know, I hope everybody gets that experience, but the reality is they don't. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, nice. What is typically covered in a full scholarship? Um, or a half, well, I know at Division One you have to give, if you give a dollar, you have to cover everything. I think the rule is. Um, so what's what's typically covered um, in, in a scholarship, a D1 scholarship? Yeah, so for us, it covers everything. Um, they get the books paid for, they get all the gear, they get um, a stipend per month, um, wow. all the academics, all the, like, yeah, they don't, I mean, our, our players pay for their flights, but I do know that some schools can play for, pay for flights also. Um, so it's, it's dependent on like money, I'm pretty sure. Um, some schools do cost of attendance, which a lot of people aren't aware of, which is like a, a bigger stipend, which is like a lot of the higher schools do that. Um, not every division one school does do that. Um, and then division two is a little bit different. Um, I think they, some, some schools package where it can be like, you can get an international or an academic package. So it's like, they can break up their scholarship money, but technically you still end up being on a full ride. It's just, you might have to maintain like a 3.0 GPA or something academically, um, to, to keep that scholarship, which from, from my experience, a lot of our, most of our international students are extremely good, um, Academically, nice. Um, what about things like insurance? Um, yeah, I think that's school dependent. I always this that's a really good question because not a lot of people ask about that. And we always our school does have insurance for our players, and um, but I always because that me personally, what I did and my parents did for me, and I always advise anybody who does this we have insurance for them like through basketball. So like if you're a basketball, if you get hurt or whatever, you have the doctor, but like if there's anything that say, you know, say you're off on a weekend, say it's it's spring and you have the weekend off and you're going somewhere like with your friends and God forbid something happens, you're doing something daft or whatever, or acting a fool, or even you going for a hike and you roll your ankle, whatever it is, like I always got travel insurance so that like we had that to cover because I know if something happens like outside of those things and you're, you know, let's be real, you're coming here for an experience also, like you're gonna go mm-hmm. and do things. And, and I think people should do that. And whether it's a flight to Florida or whatever, like you have an unbelievable opportunity. And there is time within the season for where you have downtime to go do those type of things. I think the school for us does cover a big portion of insurance in regards to playing and stuff like that in season. But like we, me and my sisters, all three of us, all three of us when we came over here, we also did get like travels insurance, which was like a little bit of like backpack insurance, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like yeah. it's like, I don't know, you know it's just something like that. Like it's a little bit extra money, but like it definitely covers you. Like I know my sister did something where she was like doing a handstand and like fell through like a glass mirror and had to like go to, to hospital, but like she had this insurance and she was like, fine. I, I don't even want to ask the question. <laughs> Uh, college night though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, All right. So yeah, so insurance um, covers you during. Is it during season or basketball activities? 
From my understanding, it's basketball activities. Okay. Um, so if and you I know there's also like if you sit, a lot of schools have like, well, all schools have like a school nurse yeah. and like a health center and those type of things. Um, but yeah, it's it's basketball activities like that stuff, and like obviously you have a trainer, but like I said, like if you're somewhere that's not even close to school because you're visiting someone and something happens, like the school's not going to really cover that. Okay, cool. So From my knowledge at my school, I mean, it might be different elsewhere. So always checking, um, always important to check about the insurance, what type yeah. of insurance and what it covers you for. Yeah. You just never know. And we've had a couple of um, uh, individuals on the show already, um, a couple of, you know, former athletes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've spoken about heart conditions and eye conditions and all the rest of it. And, you know, it changing their life, so to speak. So, yeah, very important that your insurance mm-hmm. is put out and knowing what um, you're covered for. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, also, talking about injuries and scholarships, can you lose your scholarship from getting injured? Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Technically, no. Okay. However, at Division One, if you have a season, if you have a career-ending injury and you've signed a full scholarship, say you have a, you something happens to you and you have this scholarship, there is something where you can medically retire and they will, the NCAs, I know a lot of people don't know, talk, talk about this. Um, if you like, it has to be career ending. Like you can, you're never going to play again, but you're still committed and you want to finish out your studies over there, over here. There is something called like a medical retirement where the NCAA does cover um, that scholarship for you because you've had like a career injury. You're never going to play again, whatever it is. Like I know a couple of kids um, in my last five or six years have, have had that happen to them. So there's that, and then, I mean, it, it's a it's a one year thing, and technically, like, if you're breaking rules and you're like not really, it's different. I think men is a lot more cutthroat than than women. Um, I technically I've never really been a part of a program that's taken a scholarship away from someone because they've been injured. I've never had that happen. Never experienced that. I can't speak on every this program and this is somebody else the other day scholarships technically are on an annual basis you sign a scholarship every year it's not a four-year scholarship and i think people don't understand that um but through my experience in the programs i've been involved in it's really you'd have to be doing some really wrongful things to lose your scholarship mm, okay it's so not. Knock on wood, you know, you were it's the right not through my experience, right program, and yeah, and, you know, they look after you if you get injured and stuff like that. And then the um, yeah, medical retirement, yeah, I didn't know about that. That's that's great information. And said that's the you know, why we have you on the show, it's just to give <laughs> drop those gems, man. So, yeah, that's that's really cool, um, to know. Um, moving on to you know, more about the um hands-on stuff so now that you know they let's say a player gets recruited um mm-hmm. what does a typical college day uh, consist of for you know let's say one of your athletes yeah i think this in season and out season is a little different so 
out of season technically is kind of more in like summer and pre-season it's uh you get it's per week so it depends on every school does it different but you get eight hours a week um in pre-season and post-season and then i think it's 42 days before your first game you get to start um and you get th i think it's 30 practices in 42 days i'm not i'm not the compliance person on our stuff so i'm honestly not that might not be right it's similar to that um te technically typically sorry we start like end of september because we usually open up november um so it's lift for we have four hours on the court so what we'll do um, out, when you're out of season, any holidays that happen, so like now we're going to be moving into postseason, like I think at the end of March. And if we have Easter break, because we're out of season, we're not allowed to do anything on Easter break. Oh no. Okay. Yeah, so like you can only do stuff on like over Christmas, like Christmas we can practice because we're in season, but when you're out of season. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So um, when when we start, like, so it'll vary. Like, so we're cranking up postseason at the end of, of the month. And we'll do an hour session. We'll do, like, 45 minutes. So we get four hours of the basketball. So we'll do 45 minutes, five days a week, or if we're short of hand like that. And it's that's individual sessions. So that's kind of, you know, ball handling, shooting on the move. That's kind of position-based and then based around, like, stuff that we do within the team of different things. And then um, some of the girls will play on their own. Um, that's like captain sometimes will have them come in and play on their own they, they're allowed to do that that's out of the hours and then they'll do they have four hours of like conditioning and lifting and um, so that's typically another typically that's like an hour when you're out of season you get two days off a week when you're in season you get one day off a week um, and in season it's pretty hectic I mean it's like classes in the morning and um, probably typically not, a lot of girls 9 through 12 are in classes we practice um mondays wednesdays fridays we go one to four and tuesdays and thursdays we were going ten to one um so we don't use all that time we just usually the girls come in a little bit before shoot and after and then obviously we still lift in season twice a, twice a week we'll do twice a week lift and then we'll do a recovery day of stretching and stuff nice. um and then obviously film when you're in season you get 20 hours a week which doesn't sound really like a lot but it's you know, it's still like, uh, like what well, you know, else. yeah, between film and then like also like travel and stuff like that. So I say time management's really important because especially this year, I mean, we played back to back, so that was crazy. And we played the same team. So we would go on the road, say we were playing at Bryant. We opened up with Bryant. We went up to Bryant, Rhode Island the night before, played the next day we couldn't have any shoot rounds because we weren't allowed to do shoot rounds this year it's, it was really different this year but we typically we'll play in conference in a regular year saturday saturday mondays is what we do mm -hmm. so sidebar kind of like away from that how come you guys want a lot i know the covid protocols and all the rest of it but how comes if you was playing a game on the same court then why weren't you allowed to shoot around on the same court kind of thing yeah, honestly, I don't really know. I think it was just more the time that we kind of were starting and okay. things that was, when we were starting, we're, you know, we go from Bryant, Connect, we go from Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, no, yeah, Massachusetts, and then we go all the way down to Pennsylvania. And all these states were different rules. 
So I think I think at the time, at the beginning of it, it was just easier just to kind of keep it generic and say no. that's what it is. Because it was also like a travel limit. Like if you were closer than 150 miles, like you couldn't go the day before, you can only stay over in between them. So the, there was a real big protocol that was just that what it was going to be. Let me let this dog outside one second. No worries. What type of um, playing statuses are there? Um, we've we've heard about red shirts. We've heard about medical red shirts, gray shirts. Can you explain how all of those work? Um, Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, this is not my area, but um, so I know if you come in and you aren't academically eligible i think you have to you can practice mm-hmm. you can practice with the girls but you can't travel um if you transfer that rule is supposedly changing that rule was different this year when people transferred um they were allowed to play right away this year so there was no sitting out because everybody got the year back this year everybody was allowed to play and supposedly there's going to be a vote on transfers this summer about people not having to sit if a one-time transfer and stuff like that so that'll be interesting that didn't that was denied last year but it's supposed to be it's supposed to go through this year and I think like we had a kid transfer mid-year um and she sat out but she sat out couldn't play but she practiced um I'm not I've never been experienced with I know people who have kind of played and gone through everything and suited up but then haven't really played that much and it's like a minute like how many games you go in or whatever towards the end that you kind of can get that year back and you have to apply for it and then there's the same thing with obviously if you get hurt with so many games if you only played so many games you can get that year back too like I know a couple I know some I know a kid who played for us redshirted um redshirted academically because of her first year so she practiced uh, but didn't travel with us. Then she played two years and then she got hurt. And then now with COVID, she's going to get like another year. So she's, I think she's going to have like seven years in college or something. Yeah, crazy. it's crazy. So, um, yeah, and I think uh, that stuff is like constantly, not constantly changing, but can like, is really like dependent on the person. So I think if anybody's in that, I think you should also always vouch for yourself and ask lots of questions. I know like, especially at our level, we just have a compliance person that's like in charge of that. And honestly, that's my go-to person too. Like, I, I'm not gonna sit here and lie, lie to you. Like, I know like all the ins and outs of the rules. Like I know the rules to recruit and all that stuff, but they're constantly changing. I'm always, and I think that's a great thing about most schools too, is that compliance person really advocates for the athlete and it's, it's super helpful especially too now with transfer and the transfer portal as well like you just can you just can ask them and say you want to transfer uh, so it is different but at the schools I mean we have a girl coming in that I think depending on how her progression goes because we like I told you about the senior post but we've already had a conversation recruiting her that depending on her growth and how she moves forward we could technically redshirt her but if she's ready to play then we'll play her so it's kind of like the options there we'll see how kind of it works out for you because she's not been playing basketball that long um so we'll, we'll you know we'll just kind of take it day by day and obviously at division one you have summer school and all kinds of there's a lot more 
Division One's a lot more intense than Division Two, in my opinion. Okay. From a from a from a management standpoint of summer school and and the, the hours and the kind of time of things. Okay, I like it. Um, looking at grades now, um, how important is um, your academics from A being recruited and being in school? Um, you know, is there more importance for a international student to have better grades? Um, and you know, how does that work in terms of allowing you to play? Yeah, I think, yeah, grades are definitely important. I think you never want to limit yourself. So I think the better your grades are, the more opportunities you have. Um, I'd say, I think the biggest thing, if I had to give any advice to somebody is to get on top of that stuff right away. Like that is really stressful if it's left last minute. And a lot of the times, I think the more this is becoming a more regular occurrence. And I think that the eligibility center is a lot more knowledgeable of these things and have an understanding of different countries' education. So I think that's definitely something to be proactive with. And I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously like, like in, in international institutions too, like there's different schools, there's different levels. Some are more academic minded. There's different, you know, what, what you want to study. I know there's certain programs that you need certain grades to get, like if, for like some people do nursing and I think you need to do certain things to be able to get into nursing and whatever it is. I mean, at the same time too, like you also don't need to know, but I think if you're somebody that academics is really important to, um, cause that's, you know, with internationals, I feel like some people really come in and already know what they want to do. Like the girl that we had come in this year, she already knows she wants to be a teacher she's gone right into the education department and she's right in there. Whereas some, some, some kids come and like, I was like this, I just wanted to ball out. I just wanted to play basketball. Like I, you know, and I think just kind of in regards to that recruiting process of knowing what's important to you, but grades are, grades are really important. I mean, you never want to limit yourself. So you don't want to be in a situation where you find the right fit and it's really great for you, but you don't have the grades to get in. And that's dependent on every school. Like, some schools look at SATs, ACTs, like some people, there's obviously the sliding scale with the eligibility center, but then some schools do have their own um, requirements to get into school too. Yeah. Um, can you play or practice, um, but not be academically um, eligible? Can you play? You can't play, you can practice. Okay. Um, you know, I, I have but a like really... You'd have to redshirt, so like, I don't think, from my experience, like we did it my first year at Wagner, and there's also a lot of things you can do to try and get, like, you can take a couple summer classes, like if you're one credit short, like I know like that social science can be like a little bit problematic for a lot of international students. Um, and I know people have taken like one credit classes that's helped them. I think there's a lot of different avenues and different ways to kind of summer school or, or, or different classes that have helped, but it's obviously dependent on the school too. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, to my knowledge, if you are academically yeah, ineligible, you can still practice. It depends because there's a partial qualifier and a non-qualifier too. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so you can be like a partial qualifier or non-qualifier. It's um, those are questions that like you just need to ask and like because it's 
it's really different from person to person because of the way like America has a really generic way of like you do four years of this four years of math whereas I feel like especially in the UK like GCSEs like you kind of pick what you want to study and then A levels you pick one what you want to study where it's not like that here so it's really different so I think knowing like I know we're recruiting a young lady from um, England right now and she needed to take a, a social science and she's on top of it and she's a 22 and she's like taking it right now so she's not going to have any issues but oh, nice. I think like yeah okay so checking what you've got coming in and seeing how that works out so yeah if you're doing a let's say a drama over a geography you know you're going to struggle because you need that you know um that geography grade over you know performing arts or drama so yeah, yeah um yeah it's it's i don't know about with the girls um especially at that age trying to go to to college but i know with the guys a lot of the time not all of them i'd say about 40 odd percent but they just don't want to do well in school they, their goal is hey i just want to play ball and you keep yeah. explaining to them hey you need your grades you need your grades you're like oh yeah but you know, I've got a 40 inch vert and you're like, it doesn't matter if you're not eligible, you're not eligible. Yeah. So. 100%. I think too, where it's different with girls, like girls see a bigger picture, like girls don't yeah. think they're going to play basketball forever. Like it's different in men's basketball. Like I don't think people are a little more delusional, but like every guy who's playing in college thinks he's going to go play pro. <laughs> you can say delusional, it's fine. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely delusional. Um, I see it often. So, um, yeah, it's it's really important that they understand that, hey, your academics, kind of like, yeah, exactly what you said, the overall bigger picture of, hey, it's not, you know, the statistics show that there's a very small amount of um, athletes that get to go and play pro. Right. And, you know, of those athletes who have, you know, how many of those have extended careers? And of those with extended careers, how many of those have, you know, generate enough income to sustain to sustain yeah. their living? So, you know, all these things you gotta take into account and understand that, hey, you know, it's a, you know, one in 10,000 chance of me being a pro that plays for plus 10 years and earns enough. I need to find another plan or have a backup plan just yeah. in case you know, the, my time elapses. So um, definitely a great point there, Coach. Appreciate it. Um, this is really fun. I'm enjoying this um, and, and enjoying picking your brain and seeing you sweat on a couple of questions. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> uh, it's great. Uh, last few coming up. Um, what basic life fundamental or life skill fundamental should uh, these student athletes be, be coming into college with? You have to be solution-based. I think this is really missing in life in general, but I think you're in a situation and, and you're coming over and you're far away from home, but like you have like you, you have to you have to find solutions. You have to like, well, what is it like you can complain are you gonna complain about it? Are you gonna be in a situation or like, you know, say something something comes up, you you've got time management issues or something's come there like what what are you going to do like find a solution I think a lot of people come over and even in general in college like they just 
hope that it's never going to come to the surface of if they're struggling or what's going on. And I think you you have to be solution based. I think you have to be. You need a good support system. Like everybody says that. And I think it's so important. I think support system, and I think it's used a lot over here, but I think in life in general, outside of basketball, bigger than basketball, whatever you want to say, I think a healthy support system that people in your corner you can rely on is really important. I think that's the key to life. And I think you have you have to love basketball. I mean, you know, you, you're you're in you're in it. Like you have good days and bad days, and like I wake up and I love my job, I love what I do. But like, obviously, it's challenging. You're around the same people all the time. Like you have to know how to work with people. And I think, at the end of the day, the common goal. You're all here for basketball, but like you have to love it and you have to be selfless. Like you have to be able to, especially on a team. Like I guess just, you have to figure it out. It's not going to be easy. Like I tell people all the time and like everybody says, well, I played AAU or like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really intense here. Like, no, there's nothing like college basketball. It's intense. And especially at like division one level two, like what people forget is like coaches jobs are on the line. Like that's a factor. Yes. Yes. And like, you know, I love our girls and, and our girls are unbelievable. And I love our team, but like you have to, you have, we have, like we're supposed to get wins as college coaches that's like just a fact and i think you have to come in and your drive to be successful and it's you've got to love the game and i think anybody involved would say that i'm sure you feel that about what you do and yeah um I, I i agree um i think it sounds different coming from um, a somebody who's walked the walk and talked the talk and, and and now in a position that you're in being a, a college head head coach. Sorry, um, I think you know being solution based and um, slightly funny because that's one of my personal goals. Is that I always think, hey, solutions not problems. You know, you, problems will always come and all the rest of it, but. You know, just in like real life, um, as compared to a, a game, you know, you've turned the ball over are you, or you've just missed a shot. Are you going to, you know, flap your wings and drop your head? Or are you going to sprint back and get back in defense? And do you know what I mean? So it's how do we solve this issue that's come along and just, you know, wallow in self-pity and stuff. So um, I really like that approach. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, what type of relationship do coaches have with parents? Um, and can a parent call you whenever they feel they need to and question you um, about issues like court time? No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I think it's depend for us personally, I think we have a pretty good relationship with most of our parents on our, um, on our teams. I don't think there's the, there's, in my opinion, there's no way a parent should be calling a college coach asking about playing time. Um, however, like we do things, um, you know, well-being or concerns about that player, absolutely, that their daughter, absolutely open, open line. Like if you've got any issues, any concerns, even and vice versa. Like if we feel like there's something that's seriously going on and working in. You know, that's, we preach family, we preach understanding and, and kind of 
being a family and especially internationally like like I said it's a little different for for me from my seat that I sit in because I've lived it and I know how my, you know my parents how they were and how hard that was for them so I can kind of say and I think we will you know whether they walk into the gym on FaceTime like oh my head coach is always like hey I know my head coach is super super active on social media whether it's Facebook and like she she allows the parents to kind of friend, be friends with her so she can post updates whether it's like rookie of the rookie of the week or whatever and we'll give shout outs and like parents will comment on that like she's she's cool with that like just like that I know some people like absolutely not um we're, we're not like that um so no. I just but I don't know I don't think a parent should really be talking about playing time now so so a parent you know yes. what happens if a, if a parent called you and like hey coach you know um and you know they you really they, put me on the spot the, the, the parents always start with something positive like hey hey coach you know really really love the job that you're doing with uh with our daughter Lisa um just wanted to know why she only played two minutes uh, last game, what would be your response? Me personally, I'd tell them that um, <laughs> it's above my pay grade and they'd have to call the head coach if I'm honest. <laughs> um, but like as a head coach, like, <laughs> I mean, that happened. Obviously, I don't really want to talk about players that I've coached, but that when I was in school, one of my friends, her dad would call all the time. And like that happens, like people think that doesn't happen in college. Like that was when I was in college and like, you know, I mean, I just think, you know, what do you have to do? You say the politically correct or the right thing to say, like rather, you know, this isn't an area I like to discuss with you. Like I think, you know, cause it's hard too, as a college coach, to be honest, like your daughter's not playing two minutes, but like you only see that, like you don't know what goes into it and what's, what, what's going on, like how she's practicing, like, Obviously, it's earned for us. Playing time is earned. Yeah. And like, so if she's not doing a good job, if she's not focused in practice and she can't execute a scouting plan in practice and she's actually just not even trying to practice or isn't even like locked in and being the best version of herself or whatever it is, or someone's just better than her, then, you know, I said, we say to our players all the time, like, your opportunity comes in practice. And I think a lot of players believe like, I'm not getting a chance in a game, I'm not getting a chance in a game, but you get a chance every day in practice. Mm. And like, I think that's where to like the level is, is is important that you know what what you want to achieve is to be really real with yourself. And I think that's really hard right now as a student athlete is, you know, you come from being the best player in your high school program or whatever it is, and your parents think you're so great, and you are, like, and you're recruited and people love you, but, like, college is hard. Like, everybody's the best player. Everybody's fighting those five spots. There's 200 minutes, and there's, say, 15 people. Like, you've got to put the extra time in, say, you know, and even it happens, too, where you come in and, and this one person is so driven i had a walk on when i was at franklin pierce who just worked her butt off and was so hard working she didn't get any scholarship money and then by the end of her senior year she was a starter and she was like playing 32 minutes a game and earned a full scholarship and you've seen those journeys and that for me is as a college coach what you hang your hat on because that's what that's what it's about like and i keep i've said this to you before what you put in is what you get out like and you can't i say to people all the time you never look back 
everybody always looks back and has regrets and it's like, I should have done more. No one ever looks back and is like, oh, I wish I would have done less. I was going way yeah. too hard. Like, why did I do that? Like, yeah. people don't do that. Yeah, and yeah. I think the parent thing is really difficult. Um, but I think there's a res- there's got to be a level of respect and understanding from both sides, for sure. But it's not something I enjoy dealing with, I'll be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. Nice. Okay. <laughs> um, kind of, you know, cutting the parents some slack now. Um, understanding that their, you know, son or daughter, their daughter's going to be 5,000, 7,000, 3,000 miles away from home, uh, five hour time difference, seven hour time difference, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give that parent to kind of ease their concern about sending their, you know, their child out into the, you know, big blue world? Yeah, I think those, I think that happens like in the recruiting process a lot. I think um, a lot of parents don't want to seem like they're super hands-on and like want to let their kids like be on the, just on themselves. And I think there's multiple conversations and I think asking to speak and we do a lot of, where we'll talk to the kid and we'll be on the phone and we'll talk and we'll talk and we'll set up calls, but we'll do multiple if need be whatever is is good with the parent like we'll we'll sit down and we'll talk and we'll give them the floor and be like you know ask whatever you want to ask and i think as a parent in that moment when you do i don't think it's wrong to ask for a sit down with a coach even if it's a multiple times to go with questions and i don't i think the thing with my opinion is i think european people or even Australians not necessarily European I think we're very polite okay, yeah. uh, whereas I think over here like a lot of parents will like put under pre- pre- put coaches under pressure and ask questions like well you know I've had all sorts of questions well how long's left on your head coach's contract do you see yourself being here like well if she comes for four years if you get a job in two years like they ask like not invasive questions but they're sending yeah, their kids yeah, yeah. to play for you and they're all valid questions Whereas I think because there a lot of times internationally, your your child's in that 17 to 18 range where you want them to kind of fend for themselves. Sometimes they let them kind of, they don't want to overstep. Whereas I don't think in that recruiting process, like a parent should never feel like they're overstepping. Like obviously there's a fine line. You want, you, you know, you want your kid to have a relationship and build a relationship with this coach and these players who are playing. But like, if you are given the floor to ask questions as a parent, and I think it's very different when you're asking questions as a parent, as a as in regards to you're speaking for your kid. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with in that moment because at the end of the day, like, you know, some people might not understand it. Some people will, but yeah, the fact of sending your your child 3,000, 5,000 miles away is, is extremely daunting and risky, but at the same time too, like you want your kid to have the best opportunity that's best for them. And and we, you know, you, you obviously want your child to be successful. And I think as, a, as college coaches, everybody for the most part would hope people would understand that. And I think too, especially with Zoom, like you can, if I was my picture on, you wouldn't really be able to tell my like uncomfortable when you ask me a question, but like, you, you know, you can yeah. see like, 
it's not face to face and it's not in person, but like it's definitely changed the game having these Zooms and these like face to face things where you kind of speak to people. And I do think, I think British people are, more, are, are better at it. I think people who are not necessarily English speaking get a little nervous and I think that can be hard for people, but yeah, yeah. I think to write down questions and do research and, and and that's your opportunity to ask I don't think anything. If people care about the right stuff, then I don't think there should be any question off the table when you're recruiting somebody. Personally. Nice. My I like opinion. that. I like that. Um, that's a good one. Trying to get the, the parents to be, I guess just, yeah, don't be afraid to be parents, especially in that recruiting period. Ask yeah. questions do your due diligence and you know i guess any program or, or coach that's got an issue with it isn't probably somewhere where you want to be sending your kid to anyway so i mean yeah. i think you know uh, the majority of times or you know a portion of times especially if a coach has children themselves or a family they should understand the concern of a parent so yeah yeah i, I think you're exactly right coach um Great, great points there. Um, last one, last question, my favorite question. Um, I always ask this, um, you know, you, you're getting in 18, 19 year olds, you know, they're living away from home. Uh, as you said, three, five, 7,000 miles away from home, different time zones. As a young adult, there's a load of distractions. There's a loads of um, situations that come up and they don't have their support system, their, their regular support system around family, friends, whatever. Um, when these, especially freshmen dealing with um, access to drugs, access to alcohol and sexual relationships, which will distract them, what advice do you have to those athletes that you know, are just seeing these things, you know, firsthand or, you know, they don't have the same level of support around. What would you advise them? Um, I think surrounding yourself with good people is important. Um, I think communication with your support system. I think a lot of, when I came here, I just kind of like didn't call my parents, which was really wrong. Um, and they had no idea, like they were worried. And obviously it's a lot easier, I think. Still, you're far away, but like communication, like I feel like you have to trust what you were brought up and you have to trust what's right. Like not everybody knows what's right and wrong. I think it's hard because people are gonna make mistakes. I think you have to own your mistakes now. I think you have to own your actions and learn from them. But I think you also should, if you're a college athlete, kind of know what you have to lose. And I think that's a big thing that, you know, with social media and stuff that we talk about is we ask, would what's happening, would you want on the front page of a newspaper? Would you, what's happening, would you want to tell your grandma? Like little things like that. I know it sounds really silly. Like I actually got that from Wagner. Like when we worked there, we talked about social media and making these decisions. And because yeah, you're gonna live, you're gonna, but no, you have to know as an athlete and understand you are under a microscope and what are you gonna lose? Because once it's gone, it's really hard to get back. And I think like 
I've seen, you know, through good and bad, I've seen some really, some really bad decisions made by young people. And I've made some, seen some kids that have really stood up and had some really difficult times. And at the end of the day, I think you'll always find a way and you get through, but it's like, what are you willing to give up for those? You have to make sacrifices at the end of the day, being a college athlete and it's what's important to you. And basically you have to, from my opinion, you have to own your actions. You've got people over here that are in your corner to help you. But at the end of the day, you're a college athlete, you're not above the law. And you've got things to lose and you've got to understand that from an early age. And I think if you're in the right program, you're guided from day one in those areas about making those decisions. Beautiful. Um, definitely. Um, the, the, the point of understanding what you have to lose, I think that should and does resonate with a lot of um, young young athletes. And, you know, I, I don't think anyone expects uh, an international or any student um, at, at that point, but I don't think anyone expects any student to be perfect in terms of not having parties, not having interests, not experimenting or whatever, but understanding A, you have a lot more to lose than someone that isn't on a scholarship. Um, and even those that are on a scholarship, you know, flying you to and from is often expensive enough. So, you know, having having that on your shoulders. Um, so yeah, just, just being smart about what you're doing and. And obviously you want to perform. So, you know, you make sure that you're not drunk and, and trying to go to practice or you've had some sleep or, you know, you are taking care of your body. So I think that is a um, uh, some great, great points. Again, um, coach, amazing. Um, last one, um, not a question, but uh, can you tell us, well, it is, can you tell us a little bit about um, your program and, uh, you know, let's say a young um, a young lady's watching this right now, thinking of schools to attend and what programs. Can you tell us um, why St. Francis would be a, a great option? Yeah, uh, St. Francis is about, is about family. Um, it's located in Brooklyn Heights. It's one of the most beautiful campuses. The girls have dorms on the promenade. Um, you get an unbelievable view of New York City. You get to live probably the closest you'll ever have to living in New York City experience. Um, the league we play in is unbelievably competitive. Um, anyone can be anybody on any given night. There's not just one team that's going to win the conference. It's super competitive, you're challenged. We have a wide variety of um, academic options, which is great. And then our biggest thing is the team and our head coach. We have an unbelievable head coach that understands balance and what it's really like to be a student athlete. She's all about empowering young women um, and what happens after basketball um, is important to her. And then just, just the school and the support alone is unreal. Like I know the president of the college, he knows me by name, the athletic director has been at the school for over 40 years. She played at the college, she's in the Hall of Fame. She was a basketball coach there. It's a very, when you say family, that's not a word that we just throw around, like we mean it. And our girls are really, really great people. They're very good at basketball, but they are really great people. And we are building a program that we're really excited about in the future. 
beautiful. That is amazing. Um, Coach, thank you so much for your time. You have been amazing. Um, sorry to put you on the spot on some of those questions, but you know, um, it's absolutely great, especially you know having someone of your caliber. Um, and we didn't even mention the the national team stuff, you know, either. So you know, someone someone like yourself who's um, been around at various uh, different levels. Thank you for taking time out and spending with us. No worries. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. All right, this is Jen Leadham, Associate Head Coach of St. Francis College in Brooklyn, and you've been Eurostepping, and always remember, keep working hard. Appreciate you watching the Eurostepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Eurostepping. Watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.